Firsts are really important. First car, first job, even your first high score on Space Invaders. That's not just me, right? But for us, equally important were our first PCs. They weren't flashy, fast, or necessarily made from compatible parts. More on that later. But they were ours. Looking back, we owe a whole lot of who we are today professionally and even personally to those trusty machines. So today, we're giving them the moment in the podcast spotlight they deserve. Taking more of a sprint down memory lane, it's time to reminisce about our very own first PCs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Solid State Podcast. I'm your host, John Joyce. I'm Eric Sargent. And I'm Cody Toscano. And we are here to take another trip in the uh, Solid State Wayback Machine because we are we are going to chat today about my first PC, a history. And, uh, and for me, we, it's the we, way, way back machine. The way, way back machine. <laughs> well, when we first came up with the idea, if you've been listening along, you probably realize there's going to be some roots here to our episode a few weeks ago about building a new PC in 2022 and some of the challenges around that. But, uh, you know, as, you know, tech nerds like us tend to do, that always makes us nostalgic for some of our earlier, you know, earliest gadgets, I should say. And for all three of us, one of our earliest respective gadgets was our computers, our PCs, that that first, you know, bit of tech that opened you up to kind of the, the world that we now find ourselves, you know, both feet in day in and day out. So um, the other interesting nugget that we realized is the three of us are almost equally separate in age going both directions. I sit kind of in the middle, Eric, you're about the same amount older than me as Cody, you are younger than me. So we more mm. or less represent three pretty distinct generations of what I'd call, you know, that, that tech evolution, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah. So I thought that'd be a, a good place to start. So yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off first because I'm the oldest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when I was about nine or 10 years old, I was begging my dad for a computer because it was the big thing where we were firmly, firmly in the eighties at that point. So, you know, a home computer was sort of a new thing, but it was still something that could happen. Um, right. my father worked at a manufacturing plant, um, where they had computers through the whole place and they were, they were rough on the computers because they were a manufacturing plant. There was a lot of dirt and right. dust oh, yeah. and everything going on in there. They were building ovens and, um, so we never, we didn't have a ton of money. So he went to the guy who was there, quote unquote, IT guy there, who was not really an IT guy, but he, you know, was the guy who knew enough about computers that helped him hook it all up. And right. the guy basically gave my dad a giant cardboard box filled with parts, several chassis for the computers and monitors and all the cards that went inside and the drives and everything that were just pulled out of computers. They were the working parts that were pulled out of computers that had failed for one reason or another. And my dad brought it home to me along with a like 800 page. It was like five inches thick DOS manual and, <laughs> and, um, and a box of computer parts. And he, my dad still to this day knows nothing about computers. He set it down in front of me and he said, this is what I got. So if you want a computer, you're going to have to build it. So I basically just started fitting the parts together until I could make them work. And what I ended up with was a Frankenstein together IBM PC junior, um, which uh, shows from my Wikipedia article here <laughs> originally launched in 1984 
um, between 84 and 85 was when they launched, which is probably when that place bought it. And it was yeah, late- 1984 is kind of a conspicuous year. In right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Ironic. That's <laughs> yeah. the year that it dropped. Yeah. That was when Mac was making their 1984 commercial and all that stuff. But no, so they, they put this out. They, they had a bunch of these computers there. They'd probably moved on from them, but they had a bunch of them broken in a box or whatever. This was probably, let's see if I was nine, 10 years old. It was, it was 88, 89 at this point. So these parts were four or five years old at this point from the, and just destroyed. So anyway, I put it all together. This was an 8088 CPU, um, running at, I think it was four megahertz, 4.7 megahertz, uh, 4.77 megahertz. Yeah. Just shy of five and 4.77 megahertz, which I think as a, cause we're kind of inventing this on the fly. uh I think you're, you're on the right track. We should, we should pay close attention to what the common specs yep, are going to be to exactly. watch the jump. So, yeah. yeah. So this, this model that I had, I was able to beef it up to the, the maximum amount because I had so many spare parts. I was able to get it with 128 kilobytes of memory. Um, and it also, and it had a, it did not have like the three and a half inch floppy it had the, the wide actual floppy flexible disc, 5.25 inch flexible disc, five and a quarter. Yep. Um, and, uh, and it was, you know, I think it launched at the time those computers were about like, I don't know, seven, $800 at that time Um, and then and the beefed up one the beefed up one with the drive and it also had a cartridge slot it had like almost like an atari size cartridge slot i'm looking at that in the article you shared that's like that was my first like wow it looks like an atari cartridge yep and they had those and you could put them in there were games on some of the cartridges and there were things like um word processing stuff and i probably could play doom today (laughs) um and then so the equivalent i guess of this one that i built was an equivalent thirty five hundred dollar machine today is what you would have paid, you know, in the equivalent wow. dollars. So, um, and yeah, and my biggest memory of it, just to, just to do the one big memory that I have of it was, you know, of course I wanted it cause I wanted to play games on it. So I had a copy of the first King's quest game on the five and a quarter inch floppy. Mm-hmm. And of course they were double sided. So you would be playing the game. And if anybody's, you know, not familiar with King's quest, it was kind of like, it was an adventure game where you walked your character around on like the screen. And click. Right. And yeah. then when you would go off one edge of the screen, it would kind of slide the next screen over and your character yep. would appear on the next part of the map on there. So when you crossed over onto a screen that was not on the side of the disc that you were on, yeah, it would, it would, make a grinding noise until you please insert the, the other side of the disc. So you'd have to pop it out, flip it over, push the thing down. It would grind again and grind and grind and grind. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it would load. So my biggest memory of it is there was one screen where when the minute you walked on the screen, a witch would come after you and she would try to capture you. And if she captured you, she would put you in her hut. And if you didn't have the right materials from the other part of the game, you were stuck and you had to go back to a save point so you could keep playing. So I walk, I kept making the mistake of walking onto this screen from different angles. Cause you're walking through a forest and every time it would get to that screen, it would grind and ask me to put in a disc. So I'd put the disc in, 
wait for it to load. And then immediately when it loaded, there was a witch running at me. So then I would run off the side of the screen because I didn't have the materials I needed and then would have to <laughs> flip the disc again to get back to the other side where, that I was on. So it was, that's just what I remember is flipping the disc back and forth mm -hmm. constantly because I kept going onto the other screen. But yeah. Those, those games were incredible to beat back then because yeah, all those things that you need, like it doesn't tell you. Like you just no. have to- No, you just have to figure things. it out. You have to go around and hunt and find it. I was just gonna it. say, am I the only one that feels that King's Quest holds up today in a very like, oh, absolutely. unique way? Absolutely. Oh, totally. It's still hilarious too. All the jokes are still funny. And Space Quest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. same people. Yeah. Like those, Sierra, those the, the old Sierra games was was top notch yep. for sure. Yeah, they had some great games. So anyway, that's that's mine. Mine was an old school 1980s computer CGA screen. Um, only able to display CGA. four four colors. Yep. It could do four colors. So and then um you yeah. go high res in two colors though. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So yeah, it was uh pretty good stuff but yeah so that it was a lot of, and i mean i had a great time with that computer and then eventually i i moved on and when i when i got the computer for college it was a you know mac performa 6400 which was a totally different beast but that's a story for another right. day this is first computers but yeah i mean this was you know what at the time an amazing thing not many kids in my neighborhood had, had a computer access to that gear yeah yep. so absolutely it was pretty oh, yeah, cool yeah, to Obviously, that launched in 84, but you weren't building this the year it came out. So, no. broad strokes, about what year do you figure that was, give or it take? It was probably about, have... it was about 1988 or 1989 that I was probably putting so that 80s. together. Yeah, late 80s. Just just before we hit the 90s, yeah, I was putting that together. So, and reading, and I read that entire DOS manual too. I read the whole cover thing. Cover to cover. Cover to cover, yep. read the whole thing. Dude, it could do 640 by 200 at four colors. Yep. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Hot stuff, man. <laughs> well, fast forward almost exactly then 10 years, almost to 1997. And uh, we have me being on the receiving end of, I'm just going to call it what it is, wearing my parents down into the, <laughs> uh, the purchase of, because I guess if we want to say our family's first computer was a so old, it's barely worth mentioning like two color screen Packard bell. It was from my dad's office. I mean, that was never sure. my computer. It was one mm -hmm. of those things where he had purchased it for the business with some grandiose thought of using it for something. It never, you know, that would have required my dad to know how to use a computer <laughs> and much like yours, Eric, not in right, the not happening. Nope. Not then anyway, uh, he's come a long way, but, um, so somehow or other that computer ended up at our house and I, I would, I was, very young at that point, I would tinker with it, but I never got there with it. It was genuinely mm -hmm. over my head for the age that I was. And, you know, using one was just not in the cards for me either. Right. But like my first computer that I remember being mine and using and really going back to diving both feet into was my, um, I had to do some digging to find the exact, I wanted to know. So 1997, the compact Presario 4824, um, <laughs> Finding that specific, you know, white tower of a, you know, you, you, this would be the most forgettable machine you ever saw. Cause this is from the days of just every computer was that same. And it wasn't beige. I, I'm, I'm playing fast. I was just gonna say, <laughs> yeah, it's like an eggshell or something. White. It yeah. was an yeah. off white, the same color. I think every computer was, I'm pretty home. sure it was white when you brought it home. Every one of those computers was, yes. and then three days after you days turned it on, the little the bit yellow. of heat inside it turned it yellow. So yeah, everything became thing. beige very fast. Every single yep. one. Yeah. You could always tell the plastic components from the metal components because the metal was the only thing that held its color. Yeah, um, exactly. So our, 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 our lovely Presario 4824 from, uh, I, I want to say it was from Office Depot 
rip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but going back to a kind of our key tech specs. So we're, we're here. We are about, you know, about 10 years in the future from when you had yours, but yep. let's use 1984 as the point of origin. Cause that's when your parts would right. have been from. Yep. So about 13 years in the future for parts and my lovely 4824 arrived with a Pentium two, 233 megahertz oh, processor. Yeah. So I vividly, that, that number, that's actually the key stat that I used to find the make and model. Cause I had long since forgotten the exact mo- uh, model number, but I remember that Pentium two, 233. It's forever ingrained in my head because I, I, likewise, you know, my parents, when I say I wore them down, like this was the result of years of saving. And, you know, I put, I probably put two years of research into it. Cause that's how long it took us to kind of put together the money to go out and buy this. Right, thing. They weren't cheap. Yeah, no. And, um, I remember that was right around the transition period from Pentium one to Pentium or they were, they were just called Pentium processors and the Pentium two was coming. And again, I mean, every, every store I would walk into with my parents, if I knew they had some kind of electronics department, that's where I was going to annoy every salesperson in the greater (laughs) Fort Myers area. Um, And I finally met this gentleman at at our local office depot who you could just tell again, he was one of us. He was like the sales guy in the computer department, but he just, he got it and he, he humored me. And he's the one who educated me about like, you know, we were in the later days of the Pentium processors and these Pentium twos were coming and it was going to change everything. You know, that was just, you know, one of those moments it was coming. So I, that was probably one of three times in my life I was ever patient about something. And you, cause my parents were ready to, uh, I remember the computer we almost bought. It was a gateway at the time that had a yeah. Pentium processor. And I'm like, I, I, listen, I've, I've, I've done the homework. We need to wait. Even if it means saving up more money, I want to wait for this Pentium two processor. So that Pentium two, two is like the one stat about that computer that's stuck in my brain. And then the other one was it shipped with a six gig spinning hard drive, um, <laughs> way pre SATA, but have an ATA hard drive, six gigabyte. And that was the other thing. Cause my, uh, uh, one of my neighbors down the road who had kids my age and I you know, grew up very close to them. They had a PC years prior to ours. That was the PC that I grew up learning on was his. We didn't have our own. I grew up learning on his and he had the, his computer was the first one readily available at the time with a one gigabyte hard drive. So we're, you know, we're like how one gig, like that's, that's, that's so many megabytes. Let's, um, let's rewind this for a second too, and go back, go back wars. to mine yep. really quick. Yep. Mine has no had no hard drive. There yep. was no storage in mine other than the five and a quarter inch floppy, which held, um, was it 300 kilobytes per side? Yep. Something like that. So something yeah, like that. Yep. It's around there. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, 360 k. Right, per exactly. Side, per side on, on a five go. and a quarter. Yep. Yeah. So good times. Um, so fast forward this thirteen years. So we went from four point seven seven megahertz to two hundred and thirty three megahertz, and um, to six gigabytes. Uh, so to you know help our non-technical users who for some reason you're listening to our show out there um <laughs> six gigabytes is so a, a gigabyte is 1024 megabytes and eric used the term kilobyte earlier being 1024 kilobytes yeah. in a megabyte so on and so that forth. whole floppy so, disk didn't even have a megabyte it had just over right. a half a half a meg of space on you know that whole disk, on the whole yeah. disk both sides yeah and then the RAM, help me remember, Eric, the RAM in your computer was... Was, I, I beefed it up. It originally, the, yeah. the the base model came with 64 kilobytes of RAM. Kilobytes. And I was able to put the extra chip in because I had the extra parts. So I had 128 kilobytes of RAM. Yeah. 
Well, that was the other, you know, big party trick of my was, was it's 256 megabytes of Ram, um, unheard of amounts time, of Ram. Sure. That's like 200 songs right there. That, <laughs> all at once. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> it, it, it really was, uh, you know, some things, but it had a, you know, CD drive. So that was its other big yep. thing. Um, and Eric, it's so funny because you were telling the story about flipping the floppy, the, the five and a quarter floppies. Yep. So my computer's era version of that was obviously we're well past flipping over floppy disks at that point. Right. But games had also progressed and graphics had also progressed so that the games could no longer fit on a single disc, even a, even an optical disc, a CD disc, because it was pre-DVD mm-hmm. for this particular model. So these were all CD-ROMs. Um, and I remember one again, this was multiple years after I got my computer, but I still remember playing it for what it was worth on this computer, Star Trek Klingon Academy. <laughs> uh, one of my tentpole, the number of countless hours I spent not only in this game, modding this game, it's where I learned to mod games as rubbish at as that I am, um, but still just that is a that is an effective part of my childhood that I hold on to very closely is that game and the literally countless hours I spent in and around it. But when you were telling the story about flipping the disc over, I distinctly remember the campaign in Klingon Academy. One of its big things was they actually live produced. This was back before like cinematics had gotten very big in games, but CGI hadn't good, gotten good enough that they could really effectively CGI the cutscenes. So they actually shot and produced live cutscenes right. with actors Paramount and everything yeah. using actors from the movies. And oh, I didn't know that. So, That's pretty oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Klingon Academy has like hours of cutscenes oh, live wow. shot with the, uh, with cast members from Star Trek six, the undiscovered country. And um, again, worthless knowledge that no one on the show ever wanted to know. Um, <laughs> but my, what my memory is you would progress through the campaign and then you'd hit certain missions. And because of the cutscene, it would need, it would hit this splash screen that would just say, please insert disc two. And then you'd play more of the game and like, it's getting right to the big crescendo and it goes to play the cutscene. please insert disc three. And I, I vividly to this day can picture that, this, just the the static art cutscene of like it was like some Klingon Imperial Hall or whatever and the flaming torches and all mm. that. But I can I can just picture that screen because you'd be all just fully engrossed in the game and then just hard yep. stop and you have to <laughs> dig through your little CD caddy and find and then oh my god at one point you know because these were big problems I misplaced disc four once and then couldn't Uh-oh. finish the game oh, for no. a year yep. until I found the disc and was I was finally able to complete that campaign a lot a long time later. Did. I know it's so funny to think about that kind of stuff like just the yep. physical handling of all of that you know managing it's the media so streamlined like it just loads and you're sitting on your couch but you don't have to think no about. <laughs> I, I mean eric go back to your floppy disks i remember floppy disk carriers like the yep. actual like that they were like yeah. file folders but they for were. floppy disks and, and then i had the cd-rom version of that mm-hmm. um i think obviously you know people in music around that time we, we all had our you know tower ocds that would be next to your oh, you yeah. know stereo system or tv or what have you but i had a similar thing on my desk just for game cd box in the jewel cases that this that the games would come in yep. and then heaven forbid you lost the jewel case because on a sticker inside the jewel case was the yep. serial code <laughs> mm-hmm. because that was the beginning of the age of piracy and uh mm-hmm. you know we're just going to solve it by putting a sticker inside of every box but you know never mind losing it heaven forbid you spill mountain dew on the box and it 
ate through the if you can Your tell game. i'm saying from personal experience yeah. i lost access that, to that several games over the that years definitely happened to john <laughs> yeah. definitely, definitely happened in the joyce joyce household somewhere around 1998 1999 but uh so yeah that was my compact presario 4824 and the, the the parting piece i'll say with this one is um I had that computer from 97 all the way up until I want to say it was around 03. I got my next and I stuck with compact and it was a much newer, I think, you know, Pentium four, whatever have you at the time. It was, it was definitely pre core two. It was, it was pre the core processors. But one of the things I distinctly remember, Eric, you're talking about upgrading yours because mm-hmm. you were pulling it together from so many parts. One of the main reasons that I, spent years again saving up money to further upgrade was Mm -hmm. the compact computers of the late 90s used proprietary components yep so as games progressed i knew i needed more ram i knew i needed more you know video things like that and i remember being on i this distinct memory of being on the phone with compact support saying i need you to tell me the model of ram i need to go out and get so i can add more ram to my computer and then basically telling it you need to go buy a new computer i'm like i'm staring at it i see the slot what do you mean i need to go buy a new computer and it was because it was in a transition period they didn't sell the ram because it was proprietary for that model anymore and their answer was go buy a new computer buy a new computer Yep. And uh, so that that's, I remember not being able to upgrade mine in any appreciable way. And that that was like the big bit of research I did into my next computer was I, I literally got in writing from Compaq that the model I was going to buy used industry standard parts mm-hmm. and that I'd be able to go out. Cause I did, I upgraded the crap out of that second computer. I had it for many, many years after. Cause I remember I, that was the first time I put in my own video card. I distinct, not, not this person, but the one I bought in the early two thousands, I remember putting in my, um, what it would have been a GeForce four TI mm-hmm. uh, 4,200. Maybe. I don't know. I just remember it being like a big deal. It was like the early GeForce, well, not early by mid mid cycle GeForce cards, but that was like my very first outside of like Ram or a hard drive. My first component upgrade. Okay. That can be another episode. <laughs> our first video cards. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Cause <laughs> I'll give you a sneak peek to that episode. I literally spent the night I got that video card. It was a crisp. The, the card itself was a Christmas gift from my grandmother. And because again, I wore her down and she loved me dearly and got me a video card <laughs> for Christmas. Yep. And, um, I took it home, installed it in my computer, black screen. Oh, always fun. Spent the entire, I truly mean the sun was coming up. I spent the entire night doing what internet research I could, obviously, you know, search engines were not then what they are today, but I mean, I mean, doing everything I'm on forums, I'm on discussion boards. I'm the whole nine. Finally power through the night, wait until the next morning. And I get someone from NVIDIA support on the phone and like, Oh, do you have a, insert model number here card i'm like that's exactly it he's like all right i didn't tell you this but do you have a pair of needle nose pliers i'm like maybe it's like okay start counting from the left and i'm making this i don't remember the example it's like remove the seventh pin because it was one of those male female adapter ports he's like pull out the seventh pin i'm shaking i mean this is like this card was worth more money than this teenager could possibly think of what to do Mm -hmm. with. I'm like, okay. And I pulled the pin out 
plugged my monitor in and it fired up. There was a known issue with that <laughs> model of card that had a pin that wasn't necessary to the function of the card. But if the monitor wasn't compatible with the signal coming over that pin, your only fix was to physically remove the pin from the card. That's crazy. And wow. Yeah, these support guys are like, who are these teenagers calling me? <laughs> I, I mean, kudos to him. I guess yeah. that was before call recording. I don't know, because he basically told me to mutilate my brand new card. And, uh, yeah. you know, amazingly, it worked. So uh, anyway, as always, I took us off track. But that, <laughs> going back to my original computer, that when I think about my first PC that was, you know, that I identified with, that was, that was my 1997 Pentium 2 233 Compact. What'd you have, Cody? So for me, I was I was like John a little bit where we had like, I think like a Windows 95 family computer and stuff that I really just never knew how to use. You did homework on it grudgingly. That's what I Right. I, I think we literally had like the disc version of one of the original Tomb Raider games that like I would That's mess funny. around on. But the first computer that I had was, I found it here as well. Uh, also 10 years later in 2007, that's crazy um, how it's so evenly split like that. The HP Pavilion Slimline uh, desktop PC it was like you know their their little slim model you know that was smaller than a normal desktop, but uh, it had an AMD Athlon sixty four. Okay, two gigahertz, sixty four bit. What two yeah. gigahertz? Yeah. So you, we went from what your two hundred and fifty megahertz. S- well, let's, 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 let's pause on that. So about 10 years apart in each direction. So we went from 4.77 megahertz mm-hmm. to 233 megahertz. And then same math applies. So a gigahertz is 1,024 megahertz. So, so we effectively went from 4.77 to 233 to, what did you say, Cody? Two gigahertz? Mm-hmm. To 2,000. So 2,048 megahertz. Yep. It's fascinating. I know, right? And then uh, it came with one gig of memory. Very nice wow. of them. <laughs> um, it did have two slots, but I didn't ever upgrade it. And uh, it used an integrated graphics card, uh, an NVIDIA GeForce 6150 LE. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> with 512 megabytes. Okay, but let's talk for a second about why you were able to get away with not upgrading it because I'm going to call you out as I know full well what you were playing back then. <laughs> and uh, to say you were not straining that graphics card is the understatement of the century. Oh, what, no. uh, what was the game of the day there, um, Of the day and today. Uh, Ru- <laughs> RuneScape. I was playing tons of RuneScape. Um, wow, I was, right? Uh, yeah, 2007. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, an early wow. Yeah. yeah, and then I was using, you know, AIM Instant Messenger coming home from school, trying to talk with all of my friends, and that's the computer we in the Google episode. You know, I was using Google Talk with and all that. Like, that oh really, my gosh, that's right. That was the computer, and uh, I, I mentioned this before. I, I had it for a little while. It started to have issues. I took it to Geek Squad, which was, you know, I, I that my mom. That's where she knew where to take it, and so we go in there. They have it for like a day or two. And then when I get the computer back, it's a whole different computer. <laughs> so they didn't even get like not, 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 back. yeah, not another one of the same computer, just not yours, a whole different computer. Yeah. They ended up giving me back uh, an e-machine uh, from that, but, um, but with the same kind of parts in it, a uh, whole different computer, just different computer completely. Just in every measurable way. They're like, yes, this computer is like- not working let's give him this one. No one ever came and claimed it. Yeah. Like I feel yeah. like no one buys e-machines. Computer. <laughs> yeah. So I sadly 
couldn't hold on to my first like oh my own computer that i had um but yeah it had this weird um the power button was like a clear button across the top and the whole button pushed in it was like a weird design i'm i'm not surprised they didn't keep going with it <laughs> no that was but, um, that was from the age of we can't different differentiate our products on actual components. So we're just going to see how outlandishly ridiculous we can make the case look so that it stands out in the computer aisle at office max. Oh, and yeah. oh, you know, maybe exactly. someone will buy it. <laughs> oh, I had, a, I had a 250 gig hard drive, 7,200 RPM. Wow. Fancy. So, so again, the, 10 years later. So Eric, we went from no storage, no, no storage. to my six gigs to Cody's 250 gigs. Yep. I will say there was definitely an exponential growth in between like your PC, John, and, and what I was able to get, you know, I oh, like absolutely. one gig of Ram. I mean, obviously now it sounds like nothing, but the jump from, you know, your, your compact to this is kind of, kind of huge. Oh, and, and thinking about what, what enthusiast PCs were like at that point. So 2007, I'm thinking about the, cause that would have been, I was building my first computer. Like the first computer I built from the ground up, I would have been building around that same time. And it would have had, you know, you know, again, fast and loose with enthusiast. You know, I was buying what I could afford because I was very early in college at the time, but I think I had two gigs of Ram, um, like whatever the, uh, the earliest GTX cards would have been like a, like a, like a 240 or 250, something mm -hmm. like that probably would have been what video card was. That would have been a core two duo machine. That would have been my first core processor. Um, you know, just what windows I would have built that thing with Vista on it, probably realized my mistake quickly <laughs> and found a copy of XP. XP. I mean, that computer yeah. ran XP way longer than it should have. Yeah. So did every was, computer in the world. So yeah. did every computer in the world because of Vista, um, or you? Know, what was it? Longhorn, I think, was the uh, yeah. the, the pre-release name for that. So this is, I just think it's fascinating. A the progression. We talk about ten years, like it's a long time, and in tech, ten years is a long time. But Cody, you made a great point about just the exponential doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on these specs, mm -hmm. and now it's happening seemingly every few months. I, I think about you know zooming way out to what we talk about on this show so much. Um, you know, smartphone to smartphone, tablet to tablet, just you know, computer generation to computer generation. I think we got a little stagnant there for a while, as I know a lot of the like processing man processor manufacturers were, you know, bumping up against things like Moore's law and really having him deal with, you know, the transitions to smaller and smaller nanometer processes anymore is very, very difficult and very expensive. But then coming even more full circle to one of our recent episodes, the, the one about ARM processors, I think we're in the middle of another one of those exponential shift moments mm. where we're back to what is the M2 going to be able to do that the M1 couldn't, or what is NVIDIA's super processor we're talking about for data centers going to be able to do that, you know, a fleet of Xeon processors couldn't do. And then just around, I shouldn't say just around that corner, but it feels like we're making progress every day. Um, what quantum computing is going to do and what those like leaps and bound gains are going to be like, because I think about, so here we are in 2022. I think about my, I see my iPhone and my uh, Galaxy S22 sitting on the desk here. And I think about the phone or phones I was carrying 10 years ago now. Um, it's pretty 
it's very similar progression. I the jump from Eric's computer to mine or my computer to Cody's very, very similar lines can be drawn from what my, you know, iPhone or Android phone of the day looked like 10 years ago in 2012 compared to what they look like here and now today. Um, I think the year over year progressions have slowed because mm-hmm, again, sure. the, the, the screens can only get so big and still fit in a human pocket. You know, the, the screens can only get so bright, but I think there's other areas where the processing continue, the abilities continue to evolve around us as the cloud evolves around us. Right. One of the things that I was thinking was the, the processors themselves, I think as of a few years ago, the speed of the cores has not actually increased that much. Right. But the, like you said, the nanometer process that they print the chip with shrinks the size of the chip and the power envelope that it needs to get that performance so it seems like we're now kind of stagnant on the on the megahertz gigahertz scale but it, the amount of power it takes to get the same performance is what's now getting smaller and smaller and smaller that, that's a really great point Eric. because like cody you were just saying about your um not the, the hp that had mm-hmm. an athlon 64 right mm-hmm. at, at you said two gigahertz two so to put that in perspective, though, in 2007, two gigahertz. And Eric, to your very point, I'm I'm recording today from my Razer laptop. So it's a 15 inch Razer book with it's a couple generations old now. It's a 10th gen i7, still a great processor, at 2.3 gigahertz. Right. So when we think about the jumps of your your 1984 computer at five megahertz to mine in '97 at 233, and the jump to 2,000 megahertz in 2007. My computer by the numbers is effectively unchanged from Cody's HP in 2007, except that obviously that's, that's only on paper in every measurable way. My Cody's Cody's would be one CPU, one core and yours that will have eight. The one that you have four, four physicals and, and then like eight virtual cores or whatever, something like that. So, yeah. So it's, it's just fascinating to think like the, the ways that we measured the ways that we just literally measured the progression decade to decade through our computers, that linear math doesn't work when comparing our computers of here and now 15 years later from Cody's first computer to now we can't use those same linear progressions because things like gigahertz haven't changed a whole lot. Yeah. My, my computer here has 16 gigabytes of Ram and that's, you know, comparatively a ton, but that's not the only number to go from a computer I was building with two gigs at, at, in 2007 to a machine now a 16 it's not just about yet yeah, it's eight times more storage but the speed of that memory the buses that mm-hmm. get to it the ddr you know ddr4 compared to you know much earlier sd ram and mm-hmm. things like that i mean there's there's other factors you really get knee and you know ankle and knee deep in the tech that's where it gets exciting you know that's when i talk about you know the itch i get every couple of years to build a new computer it's mostly because I love re-diving into what's changed at that level of the hardware. Like what progression yeah. has been made, not just, they didn't just slap a bigger number on it. You know what I mean? It's no, there's an actual tangible change in the speed at which this device can talk to that or the back end buses or the, you know, all the other things that add up to the overall holistic performance of the machine. That's what's exciting when you get down to the base of these gadgets. And that's something that, other gadgets, while they're still important to me, I still don't have the same connection to like my, my, my phone. I'll go back to the phone example. I freaking love my phones. I spend a prop definitely too much time on them every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think about any phone I've ever owned save for maybe some of like, I remember very fond of my first iPhone, like my first smartphone, like things like that. But overall the tech itself 
I don't have near the same connection to it that I did to that compact Presario 4824 that I couldn't even change the components in, right. but I could still crack the chassis open. And would I remember holding magnifying glasses over the part numbers so that I could look them up and learn more about the actual components in the machine. Or then fast forward to the first machines that I built in the mid 2000s to our episode again, a few weeks ago, talking about me building a computer right now this year, finally, for the first time in a while. That act of getting down hands-on with the tech is something that I do feel is still at least somewhat unique to that PC sphere. Cause there's just, you're not going to go, Eric, no one, when you, as your son gets older, you are not going to bring home a parts bin and tell him to build his first smartphone. You know what I mean? That that's right. just simply not going to happen. Right. But I'm going to do that with a computer though. <laughs> I was just going to say, you could easily bring home a box of parts and say, yeah. go build your first computer. Yep. So that's, that's something that remains really, really special to me about this one, you know, specific segment of technology and gadgets in general that I don't know if there's any, I'm actually sitting here, you know, in real time thinking, about. I don't know if there's any specific equivalent to it anywhere else. Like the only, consoles, the only thing that I can think of, often. the only thing I can think of is like, the people who have the, that proclivity building a classic car with your old man. That's the of closest course. thing that I can yeah. think of to it. Oh yeah. If you get, if you get outside of tech, absolutely. Yeah. There's, you know, you know, rebuilding or, you know, building a car from the ground up or those, you know, that are far more talented than me that can, you know, actually build things. Um, <laughs> like, like, I, I will say I have similar feelings about when I do like little 3d printing projects. Like that's still like, right. I enjoy getting down into the 3d models themselves and figuring out the components that'll go into it and the materials that I'm going to use. But like within gadgets themselves like there are many people that build their own 3d printers i've never taken the time to do that i'm sure they feel very differently about that 3d printer that they research the components for and built than i do about the one that i bought yeah, i can't assembled i can't box. get my pre-built one to work right i'm not going to build one from scratch <laughs> that's right so i just that that's how pcs specifically desktop PCs remain something that's will always be very, very different to me that nothing else has ever touched. The, the next closest thing I can think of, and this is we're really getting more into like our, our day-to-day -day professional jobs. Like when we get the chance to design and build a network from scratch, right. when I think about when we dive into, we're going to use exactly these kind of switches and these kind of firewalls, and we're going to you know, set the communications working just a certain way and really eke every single ounce of performance out of that network. I do get that same rush, that same sense of ownership out of those projects that I do firing up an actual desktop for the first time. And I think that, that at a professional level, that's that, that, sense of wonder that I still get when we build a new network or a server or something from the ground up. I think the roots from that come from those childhood memories of diving into my first PC or then later mm -hmm, building absolutely. my first PC and those experiences. And I think it's interesting when we talk about like our team members that we get to work with every day and the people that we get to work around, it's not universal but it's definitely the overwhelming majority. That's a common thread amongst us all. We all have those early experiences that all go back to building that first PC. Yep. Eric, we talk about when we, when we interview people all the time, it's not pass fail, but we definitely ask, have you ever built your own computer? Have you ever built your own Cause stuff? Cause there's, there's something there that it's an early, it's a very early canary in the coal mine for, are, are you, are you one of us at that yeah. level? If you, um, do you have that mindset that makes you want to dive in and put all that stuff together with your own two mm -hmm. hands? And that's, you know, yep. the people who want to do that definitely make the the best kind of tech people because they they love the tech. They love getting their yep. hands on it. And that's super important. Anyone, 
almost anyone can do the research, learn the things, and then go buy and sell and use them. But to your point, I think it's the actual act of designing and creating it and making it your own, that that sense of, you know, call it love for the technology is is what sets it apart and makes it unique. Agreed. Oh, totally. Well, I will say that was the most I've thought about the Pentium 2 processor in a very <laughs> long time. And uh, I'm very, very, I feel very fortunate to live in the age of tech and gadgets and everything that we do, even the ones that I can't take apart, or at least uh, Apple would really prefer that I didn't. Well, um, I'm, I'm definitely barely. breaking out King's Quest again after this, and I don't have to wait. I, when, I don't have to flip the disc anymore, no. which makes it even better. <laughs> that, that, that's true. And uh, maybe we'll do an episode in the future specifically uh, on emulators and what, what games from our past past we can actually bring forward into the modern age because nice. there's also some uh, very interesting conversations about the legalities of all that that it continues to evolve around Absolutely. us but i think i think there's a lot to be said around that topic because again the the oh, love that we have for these things and how much what we said earlier how much they hold up mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about yeah. something like king's quest and what i mean the amount immense amount of work that went into making that no doubt but how much it holds up these decades later as compared to these triple a titles that have quite literally tens of millions of dollars poured into them um I just think it's interesting. And I will say King's quest not only holds up, it outshines many of those projects Absolutely. that had tens of millions of dollars poured into them. Oh yeah. That's a whole so. conversation right there for sure. <laughs> well, now we're not, now we're pre-potting. We're pre-potting. So, yeah. yeah. Let's stop. <laughs> we'll, we'll, Save it for that, that episode. That, that, that's right. Well on that, as we always say, actual bombshell, I think we will wrap it up for this week. Everyone. Thank you for joining us. Catch us on next week's episode as well. And uh, we'll catch you next time. 